This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor. Uh, as for mentioned, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> I wish, wish I could say I'd spent this whole morning uh, curled up with a book, but hasn't quite been the case. I've been uh, helping my wife. We've been changing the heating element in our dryer, so it's just been you know a wonderful Saturday. So about the same pleasure of reading a book, you know. Exactly. I, I, I love it's about doing the that. Same. Yeah, very cozy experience. Yeah, but no, it's going well. It's going well. Oh, good. Uh, Paul, I am just delighted to introduce our guest today, uh, Nancy Pearl. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here to um, to, to meet two Twitter friends in in person, as it were, and to talk about books. What could be better? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. could be better. Well, Paul probably wants to quickly as possible get back to that dryer, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Other than that, this is as good as it gets. No, this is wonderful. And I imagine most uh, people listening know who you are, Nancy. But if you don't mind, I will just say you have been introduced before in many other places as a super librarian. I am excited to talk with you because part part of me, you know, I'm excited for your insights. I have listened to your podcast. I've listened to your guest uh, appearances on other podcasts. I've listened to your TED Talks. I've tried to to follow along with you because your enthusiasm for reading and for just helping people find the joy of that is infectious. So I'm excited to hear from you, but I also just wanted to say thank you for being that in many people's lives and in mine too. This is a great opportunity not just to say thanks on a tweet, but in you know virtual uh, remote ways to say thank you for that. <laughs> oh gosh, oh thank. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so. Just so listeners know, they can find you on all those areas, but you've also written a lot of books that include this enthusiasm, uh, Book Lust, More Book Lust, Book Crush for, for younger readers, um, and then Book Lust to Go. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't... When did that one come out, if you don't mind? I... Yeah, it came out in 2010, which I was just okay. thinking was the year that I joined Twitter because <laughs> I remember I was in the publisher's office and we were just, you know, they had just gotten in the copies of Book Lust to Go. And <laughs> and I remember they said, oh, you know, you need to join Twitter now. And I did the first tweet was, I have joined the Twitterverse. So that, was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. Um, so the sec, as you said, the sec, second book was more Book Lust, mm-hmm. which is such a terrible, terrible, boring title. But I, <laughs> at, at one point, the the um, the publisher and I had talked about calling it Book Lust 2, The Morning After. <laughs> but, um, but they, they kind of said, nah, they, you know. So we did one with the afterglow or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, the reread or something. <laughs> oh, well, and, and recently you were the recipient of the 2021 National Book Award Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community, kind of a lifetime award. And one that when I heard about that, I, you know, fist bump, you didn't see me or, or know it, but I was excited for that. Again, just just a pleasure to have you. Is there anything else you'd like uh, listeners to, to know or to, well, to, you know? I, yeah, I, I mean, the only thing that I just think it's, you know, I never, I wrote a novel that was published mm-hmm. in 2017. And when I think back of all the stuff that I did, I don't ever think of myself as a writer for the book lust books. 
um, or even the Writer's Library, which is a collection of interviews with writers about mm -hmm. the books that they love. But George and Lizzie, my novel, I feel like I just, it, that was really an interesting experience. And it just kind of came out of the blue that these characters appeared to me. And, and, and it goes back to my, my feelings about the books that I've always loved, which is character driven novels that are just, you know, a little bit quirky and, and the writing is really good. Um, and so in a funny way, it was easy to write that novel because I knew exactly I was writing it for myself because it was going to be a novel that I that I loved because it was exactly <laughs> what I look for in a novel. And with a with a name like George and Lizzie, it, it kind of has all of that in in its mm -hmm. title and in and in its characters. I I love it. Um, well, as as I mentioned to you, Nancy, and as I I remember hearing you do on Backlisted as well, we do like to start our episodes with a little bit of a hey, what have you been reading? Um, I'll go ahead and ask Paul first, and then we'll ask you, Nancy, and then I'll, I'll say what I've been reading too. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. What have you been reading? So I just last night actually finished two separate books, but oh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about them anyway. I know. Well, one was an audiobook, And so I went on a walk yesterday and finished it up. And that was late in the day by Tessa Hadley. Hmm. I've been slowly making my way through her novels. I know that a lot of people out there are big fans of hers. And every time I finish another one, I join that fan club a little more strongly it's she's just so good at kind of all the things you just described nancy just character driven these very realistic characters where you find yourself just immediately you know sucked into their world and you're kind of watching them in real time just going through life um, which is exactly the kind of stuff i like so this one in particular is just about these two sets of very close-knit couples who have been friends since their 20s and the novel basically starts with one of the one of the four passes away and so it just drops you right in there and and that's the turmoil that you're dropped into but then it starts to explore everybody going through that process with some flashbacks to the times that they met and different interactions they've had throughout their 20s and beyond and raising kids together and all these different things so it's very complicated and very kind of bittersweet but again everything i read by her i'm just you know tempted to kind of pick them all up and start pouring through them, but it's also one of those that we've talked about where it's nice to kind of savor them and draw them out a little bit. So I finished that one. And then the other one that I just finished is another favorite, uh, Barbara Pym. So I finished Crampton Hodnett and uh, just it's everything that you would want from a Barbara Pym novel. It was actually written clear back in 1939, but it wasn't published until after her death in 1987. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of interesting because in some ways you can tell it might be a little bit of not juvenilia or anything like that, but you can see that she's starting to kind of experiment with some different things and maybe feeling her way out. But it has a lot of the things that everybody, you know, loves about her with some, some older women who might be called spinsters at the time, you know, and the, the new cleric comes to town and he's very handsome and he starts to, you know, capture the romantic interest of different people. Um, so I just wanted to read real fast a, a quick passage from that. This is near the end, but it just, it is all of its Barbara Pimness that I love. Um, so this man is driving along and his car breaks down and it says, at that moment, the car began to make snorting sounds as if echoing the chuckle and suddenly it stopped altogether. Well, this is a nice thing, thought Francis mildly. He got out, lifted up the bonnet and peered inside. He knew nothing whatever about the workings of a car. Very gingerly, he put out a finger and touched something. Nothing happened. 
He touched something else. There was oil on his finger, but still nothing happened. He pressed the self-starter vigorously and then swung the handle in front, but it was no use. He began to feel very angry. It wasn't fair. His virtue surely deserved a better reward than this. He was miles from a garage and no car had passed him for at least ten minutes. He prowled round the car, prodding the tires, as if expecting to find the trouble there. Didn't people sometimes get under cars? The only thing to do was to stand in the road and hope that a car would soon come past, so he planted himself in the middle of the road, ready at any minute to adopt a striking attitude which would force a passerby to stop. <laughs> yeah. I just love that. Like, he's like touching some stuff and like kicking the tires, but it's not working. I don't know what's going on. So <laughs> I can relate to that knowing almost nothing about cars. So, you know, I just thought that was a nice little snippet of she's just wonderful. She's, I mentioned on Twitter, she was a big part of kind of bringing me solace during kind of the height of lockdown when I was feeling blue and kind of isolated and just reading her novel. She's always, so wonderful. So anyway, those are the two that I've been reading. It's been a very good little stretch. That does sound great. Can I ask, um, Paul, which is your favorite of, of Barbara Pym's? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I I would say probably Quartet in Autumn. Ooh, which yeah. I, I really like that one, but I mean, some Tame Gazelle and uh, what's the other one? Um, something women. That excellent, you excellent, excellent women. Excellent women. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just naming all of them. So that kind of tells you how. <laughs> I would say Quartet in, in Autumn is probably my favorite. But um, yeah, Excellent Women would probably be right in the running for that as well. How about you? Do you- my two favorites, I think, are Excellent Women and Some Tame Gazelle. Mm-hmm. But there's one that starts out, that's uh, about the this... I always forget the titles. Some no fond return of love. I think mm. is where the where the young woman, the Pim heroine, goes to a a conference and she falls in love with. You know, it's always falling in love with this man who isn't in, in love with her. And uh-huh. um, I, so yeah, I love Barbara Pym as well. Yeah. When I when I look at the title of your book, George and Lizzie, it does bring right to mind Jane and Prudence, yes. and you know that kind of that kind of feel. Mm-hmm. So. Right, right. Yep. Yep. I I, I wonder how they read. I've never listened to a Barbara Pym. Did... I, I haven't either. No, I haven't either. I, that might be an interesting experience because yeah. I would hope that they would give her the royal treatment and, and have some very good narrators. It would be interesting to see. Yeah. Oh, that's we should check that out. Because I, I might, I have some some uh, money that I can use for some audiobooks. I might, that might be the perfect thing for a, n- a nice November week. <laughs> Absolutely. That well, Crampton Hodnet would be one to consider, but I don't think you can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Nancy, do you want to tell us what you've been reading lately? So I'm I'm at that at that awful stage where you finished one book and you need to find another one and, <laughs> and nothing is sort of meeting that need to, uh, of the book because partly because the book you've just finished is one that you really enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of a bittersweet sort of pleasure, right? Cause you finished mm-hmm. it and then it's done. Um, it's a first novel uh, by a British writer, Joanna Quinn, and it's called the whalebone theater. And it's set, um, right after begins right after world war one and goes through world war two. And it's um, the story of these three kids who are very um, growing up together kind of as brothers and sisters, although in fact they are not Um, a terrible, terrible stepmother, um, a father who an uncle slash father who kind of disappears 
for most of the war in Scotland, uh, most of both wars. Well, he was a hero in World War One, but disappears for the rest of the time in Scotland. And you watch these children grow up and become um, the people that they that they're going to be for the rest of their lives, and how this theater which is really made out of whale bones, a whale skeleton um, in their home in Devon in England, um, how that is both the center of their lives and the kind of touchstone that brings them back to their home. So I, I thought it was really, it's it's one of those immersive novels, and I think that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for these days. Oh, that, that sounds really good. So you, I, I, it, it, even though it left you feeling maybe a little bit like you won't find what you're looking for for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that does sound really good. It looks like it just came out within the last month or so. So yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I look for it. I always like first novels because mm-hmm. they, they offer, I often like first novels because they <laughs> offer such promise. Um, you know, when there's one you find that you just say, oh, my gosh, can't wait for the next one. Yeah, I love that sense of discovery of some some new voice and the the fear that it must be. I mean, I've never written a novel, but the, the courage that you sense in, in some of them as well. I'm not very good at finding some of the young new authors all the time. And Boxwalla, I, I've mentioned it before. It's a box curation uh, company and they do book boxes. And Alexander Chi has been curating their American fiction series. And they, they just made some teasers of what's coming up in the second box. But the first one had The Town of Babylon by Alejandro Varela, which has now, I think it's been shortlisted for the National Book Award, let alone longlisted. And boy, what an act of courage to, I think, to put some, you know, to, to write a book and to put so much heart and the important themes that he's going through of uh, the it's a coming of age novel to an extent, but the, the, the man is like 40 years old <laughs> um, as he's still kind of finding um, himself. And I love that with, with new authors too. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to do better at finding uh, seeking and finding them for sure. Um, but I, I'm going to, the, the book I've just started reading is not from a new author, but it is, he is still fairly new to me. Um, I finished Percival Everett's The Trees earlier this year and was blown away. I had never read anything by him before, uh, even though I'd seen, it seems every year he has a new book come out. But um, I just started Dr. No, that uh, just, just was published. Oh, uh, it is so funny and so strange, and I have no idea... I don't have the first clue what this is going to be about, where we're going to go, but let me kind of read to you just this start. This is where it begins, chapter one. I recall that I am extremely forgetful. I believe I am. I think I know that I am forgetful. Though I remember having forgotten, I cannot recall what it was that I forgot or what forgetting feels like. When I was a kid, my mother tried to convince me that I was forgetful by saying, Do you remember when you forgot your own birthday? I think I replied, how could I? But it was a trick question. Saying yes would have been an admission of my forgetfulness, and saying no would have been an example. (laughs) The brain does what it can, I told her. 
If we remember everything, we would have no language for remembering and forgetting. As well, nothing would be important. In fact, nothing is important. The importance of nothing is that it is the measure of that which is not nothing. Is nothing the same as nothingness? Students love to imagine such things. There is, in fact, no nothing. The simplistic argument for this assertion is that the observation of nothing requires an observer, and so the presence of the onlooker negates what might have been pure absence, what might have been actually nothing. <laughs> it, it, so that's funny at the beginning, and then gets onto this strange um, fascination with nothingness, and that's a big part of what this book is about: is nothingness. In fact, the the main character's name is Walla Kitu. Because Walla is Tagalog for nothing, and Kitu is Swahili for nothing. His real name is Ralph Townsend, but he goes by by Walla or Walla Kitu. Um, but it's also just really funny. Um, at the on page six, he meets uh, a man who comes to him who just wants to be a Bond villain. Like that's his aspiration in life is to be a Bond villain, and he has it under good authority that in Fort Knox is nothing, not just the absence of something. Not emptiness, but nothing. And so he's, you know, he's getting this Wallakitu to help him get into Fort Knox and and get this nothingness. And again, it kind of blows the, my mind. I don't know what what we're gonna find here, but he's such a good writer. Uh, I I'm gonna go back and probably um, as quickly as I can get my hands on them read his backlist because I just was again delighted and surprised and outraged by the trees. And any author that can have all the that mix of emotion for me, you know, that was that was a great um, personal find for me this year. Just a little bit behind the curve is all. <laughs> my favorite Percival Everett book, and I haven't read The Trees because I I was a little afraid of hmm. the content. I was a little afraid emotionally to deal with it. But Erasure, do Erasure next. Okay, because it is a hoot. Um, and yet furious <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. To be able to do that, even the trees is funny. There's a comedy to it that makes you shiver as you're kind of chuckling at what he's writing about. It was, and I love listening to him talk about his writing because you can get the sense maybe that he's just an irreverent provocateur. But when you hear him talking about his writing, it's clear that maybe there's a part of that. But he has some really serious and, um, you know, powerful ways of talking about some important things. And I, yeah. I just developed a lot of uh, a lot of respect and, and um, enthusiasm about getting to know more. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on your razor next. <laughs> Thank you from, for that. From the little, little bit I know about him, it's amazing what a wide range his novels seem to cover, too. Everyone I hear about is completely different. There doesn't, I mean, I'm sure there are themes, but like I read so much Blue a few years or about a year ago. And it doesn't sound anything like these other ones that you're describing. So (laughs) he seems like one of those where you could find all kinds of different, you know, layers as you start to explore his works. Yeah. I think I I was looking at a review of something that says you can never tell what his next novel is going to be about because it's about something completely different, but he often does have this comedy, this seriousness Mm -hmm. um, discussion of race um, intellect and and various things like that. Apparently, here I am talking without any you know deep experience, but uh, yeah. <laughs> parroting what others have have, have said. 
Um, well, that sounds like we're all reading some fun things. Nancy, I do hope you find the next book. Me too. Um, you, you've helped so many people do that that I'm like, okay, what can, how can we give back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know you'll find something. Yeah. Um, what, have you read Robert Bolano's books? The B-O-L-A-N-O? Roberto Bolano? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, I never read that big one. I have never read anything. Should Should I do that next? Oh boy, that is a good question. He is certainly an author that I, that was the the first book I read by him was the big one, 2666, Mm because it it was right when I'd kind of heard about him that it came out in that nice box set from FSG. And it was, it's a, it's very powerful and disturbing. Um, But I also have a hard time recommending him to people because it can be very violent and I don't, you know, I don't always know that I can excuse it or understand it and that it it isn't just someone really good about writing about it. Um, you know, I know that writing about violence can be important and, and powerful. And other times I'm like, does it need to get quite, there's a whole section in that book called the part about the crimes, which is basically police narratives page after page after page of crime victims. And so it's hard to recommend that. Um, But I do, it is, it is one of my kind of lifetime reading experiences for better or for worse. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would echo that. I mean, if you were interested though, you could always try, you know, he has that short story collection, Last Evenings on Earth, which I read a year or so ago. That might be a good introduction or Trevor, what do you think? I haven't read Savage Detectives, but I wonder if that would be another starting point, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels to me like he's getting kind of left in the in the past just a little bit. I don't see as many people reading him as there were a decade ago, which makes sense. All of his books, you know, even though they keep bringing out a new one, it's like this was a file that we found, uh, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, on his computer. And and I do read them because I find his project his kind of life project is fascinating but i um i wouldn't necessarily recommend his his computer files just to to anybody (laughs) (laughs) especially as a good starting spot uh, for it um any others that you've been kind of tempted by well there's a book when you talked about how hard it was for you to recommend his books that reminded me of a book by a, a wonderful one of my life reading experiences that was so meaningful to me was Bob Shikosh's, The Woman Who Lost Her Soul, um, which is another, have you, have you, either one of you read it? I haven't. No, but a friend of mine that I mentioned in our last episode, who's a lifetime reader, that's one of his favorite authors. And he recommended that book to me, but I haven't read it. It's a terrific, terrific novel, but there are parts of it that you just, that are so painful to read. Um, And I I remember that Ron Charles from the Washington Post Mm. loved that book as well. Um, And I was so happy because I have such respect for for Ron Charles Mm -hmm. um, that he and I both loved that book that I thought. (laughs) So it'd be great for you to, for you both to read it. It's really a beautiful book. I mean, it's about, it's about war and love and fathers mm. and daughters and gosh, it's really good. Said everywhere oh. from Haiti to Montana. 
and everywhere in between Turkey. Wow. Uh, yeah. So another recommendation. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> and, great. I'm looking at it now, 738 pages. And that sounds like a very immersive, <laughs> wonderful read. Yes. That's on Paul's Christmas list. I can, I, I can tell. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I will throw it on mine too. And of course, you know, we can keep doing this. That brings to mind um, one of Paul's favorite books. I think you read it in 2021 was the Olivia Manning, the mm. Balkan trilogy and the Levant oh, trilogy, just that amazing. same um, scope and all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Those are oh. great. Those are the books that I wish, those are the kind of books that I wish were on audio. Um, you know, I just yeah. wish they would really, they would really do those, you know, those kind of classic, those old Virago books would be so, so good on audio. I agree with you. I look for them quite often because they're so captivating. They're they're so big in my hands as well, especially the NYRB Classics one where they're all bolted together. Yeah. A lot of the the big ones. I want to read Winifred Holtby's oh blanking on the name of her big famous one. South Riding. South Riding, yeah. yeah I just it, uh, that is on audio. I just downloaded it. it so oh good. I've never read that one either. I'm looking forward to that. I kind of thought that might be a fun one to do um in the spring for me this year. I don't know, but, but I, I did think audio might be a good way to, to, to go on that one. Mm. Oh, well, let me, if it, let me share a, an exciting listener email that we got that I think is right on point with what we've been talking about and will continue to, to lead us in our discussion. Um, I'm not going to share the listener's name because I didn't get permission to, and I don't want to do that without the permission. I should have emailed a little bit sooner. Uh, but this came to us uh, from a listener who, after introducing himself as a book-loving English major dad in my 40s, born, raised, and currently living in the Western United States with a 15-year-old, I thought, Paul, does that sound familiar? It does. <laughs> Sounds like us. Um, he shared this wonderful experience with us. He said, I loved hearing both of your excitement about the Count of Monte Cristo back in the Epic Reads episode. You both agreed it might be a great recommendation for your own sons. Well, I thought, I too have a 15-year-old readerly son. Let's give it a try. So I bought a cool modern library paperback edition that matches some of his others. Casually handed it to him one evening. No big deal. No pressure. The thing is a brick after all. It took him a week or so to crack it open, but after that, it truly became the greatest reading experience of his life so far. For weeks, he regaled me with feverish reports and updates. And now that he's read the last page, it's become, in the spirit of Epic Reads, a happy, permanent part of his life, part of his DNA. All thanks to you and your show. That's the simple truth. So there it is, from one dad to a couple of others. Thank you both. And I just thought that, you know, I think all of us here today, Books and reading are great for so many reasons. Reading them is just a part of it. <laughs> you right. know, there's there's the sharing of it. There's the excitement of seeing someone in their own world, growing in that world, mm. in and imagining and remembering back on times when that's happened to to us, and be able to share that with someone. And it's hard because sometimes things don't click. But I was really happy to get this email and, and read one that does click. I myself have not given it to my sons yet because I'm scared it won't, <laughs> which can also be a little bit sad and, and hard to take when a, mm -hmm. when a favorite book, you know, you recommend it to someone and it just doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing to them. But 
it's okay too. You know, I, I I've tried to come to terms with that as yeah. I've recommended books to my kids and sometimes they've worked and sometimes they haven't, but, but there's nothing better than when, that feeling when it does. And just like you said, seeing that magic and, and knowing that that could be one of those books they look back on that we all have throughout our lives that just keep the passion burning or start a new branch on your tree of exploration as you're, you know, starting to learn new things about all these wonderful books that are out there. And so, yeah, I mean, hearing something like that, I honestly get a little emotional because it's just it's so fun and exciting. And it's probably why we all, you know, enjoy this so much is just like you said, the sharing and the, the love of reading. So I remember um, I was in, uh, in Australia doing a series of um, library workshops and um, I was on a podcast with with some with a school librarian. They called them teacher librarians, and she invited us. My she invited my my husband and me over for dinner, and I went in and I I saw her bookshelf, and it was just like my bookshelf. I mean, there were the same books there, so many of the same books there, and it turned out that she had a similar background and the fact that we loved the same books was, you know, the kind of thing that just draws you together with someone. It's just so meaningful. Absolutely. I've, I've, and I've tried to figure out why it is, you know, Paul, I, I agree with you. It sometimes can be a little bit emotional just reading about this. And I'm like, and yet I don't, I don't know this person yet. You know, this was the first email I'd gotten from him and I certainly don't know his son but it is, it's special. And it, re- regardless of our role in it, you know, that yes, okay, it was our podcast that we talked about the Count of Monte Cristo and and that sparked kind of an, uh, in this impulse that paid off. But had even he just written and said, hey, I tried to, this, I gave this book to my son, I'd probably feel quite similar, you know, mm-hmm. just the, I love seeing people um, with with books and uh, Nancy, I, our main topic today is the magic of libraries. We've been broad ranging, and I, that our, our always our main topic is just coming on here and just gushing about books and reading, you know. <laughs> um, but I'm guessing that some of this is is part of you as well, because of your projects in the past. You know, the the get what if all of Seattle read the same book. Um, your your quest, I guess, to help people connect with books. And I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about just some of your, I don't want to limit it, you know, some of your experiences that have made you kind of say, hey, this is, uh, this is special to me, important to me. This is, this is who I am. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, um, there's now a picture book of my about me as a child <laughs> growing up in Detroit and the importance of of the of my public library and two librarians there. It's called Library Girl. I have read that and I love it. I it's, love it. It's so. I, I mean, it's just kind of weird. You have to kind of separate yourself from that. But <laughs> you know, all, all, the events in the book, my being driven to the library by our milkman, Mister Fishup. I mean, <laughs> that really that that really happened. But so for me, the library. I mean, you know, in one in in one sense, the public library is the cornerstone of democracy. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. heart of the of the uh, it's the heart of the city. It's the heart mm-hmm. of the community. 
but on a very personal, more personal level. I mean, the library is the place of possibility and it's unlimited. No matter how small the library is, you can never read the whole thing. Um, I, and I, I, I just, to, and maybe it's nostalgia. I mean, maybe I'm just find myself being prone to this, like, oh, it was so wonderful. Um, but even today, where libraries have kind of greatly expanded beyond books, which I have mixed feelings about, um, the books are still there, thank goodness. And, and it's still a place where everybody can, everyone is welcome and everyone can take the books home. Um, and read them. And, and, and one hopes there are still people, librarians there, who believe in helping people find the next good book, which was what I wanted. Well, this might encourage you to hear because just last weekend, I took my 15-year-old son to our local library. And he is kind of in one of those periods where he's transitioning in his reading life. He still likes The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And he still likes some of these books that are, you know, quote unquote, too young for him. But he's trying to get, I think it's like the courage, but also the expand his mind to realize that he can read almost really anything on the shelf. And so he's in that kind of stage where he's a little bit stuck. And so we went in and spoke with a librarian who we've, I've talked to her since my kids were reading board books. So we've had a relationship with her for decade, a decade, probably or a little more. And she just took us around the library and was talking to him so, you know, nicely and just, what do you like? What don't you like? And she we came out of there with two giant stacks of books. We were each like <laughs> carrying these huge stacks. And so, yeah, that there definitely still are those librarians out there who are making a, a personal difference in kids' lives. And just right. to see his excitement coming home, you know, and just tearing into all these books. And she picked the first book of a bunch of different series so that whichever one sparks, you know, hopefully he can have this path ahead of him. So, yeah, it, it's really fun to still know that that's out there. All those possibilities in front of him. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I, if if you remember and get a chance, I'd love to hear what does, if if anything does snap, you know. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I'll, I'll I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, not to, to take over, but one other story, like I was just thinking about what you were saying about reading the whole library prompted me to think of my grandmother, who's 96, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, she, you know, obviously right now can't get around so well. And, and it's like a full-time job for our entire family to keep her in books. <laughs> we, we're just taking stacks and she's just tearing through them. But she tells a story where she grew up in this little mountain town in Colorado and her family was very, very poor. And there was, you know, it wasn't the greatest upbringing that she had. And she went to their little school library, which was just one room. And over the course of her youth, she literally, I mean, I don't know if she literally read the entire library, but she, the way she explains it, she read the entire library and that was one of her, it was an escape, but it also, I think probably had a big impression on, she's just an amazing person. And I think being in an isolated place like that, but getting exposed to the world, you know, Jean Stratton Porter, um, the girl of the limber lost is like her all time favorite book. And she discovered it there and she's passed down copies to all of our kids over the years. And we've had a lot of wonderful conversations. So just that idea of what you said about, the freedom and the value of libraries in these little towns or in a big right. city or wherever you are. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the girl of the limber lost when I read that, it just gave me a forever fear of quicksand. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. just, I, I remember that so well. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Is it, that, that reminds me that the, the thing where people talk about things that they thought would be important in their lives, but turned out to not like quicksand. Someday I'm going to have to know how to get out of quicksand and, <laughs> and things like the girl, the limber lost for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, you know, I grew up in a tiny town. I think our population was 500 people and our school library, our library was the elementary school library. Um, but they've got other books in. And I just remember going there and at the time, you know, getting the little packet envelope that had the, the, the plastic thing um, that snapped at the top and you got the book and the cassette tape of, of mm-hmm. something or even a, a, a little record of the the book to read with the chimes to turn the page. <laughs> and growing up in that library, I mean, it was only open on Monday nights from like seven to nine. And that was it. Um, and But that's where we went every Monday night for you know, years and years and years and years. And I never felt poor, you know, I never felt, I don't mean poor financially. I mean, poor in terms of bookish resources. There was always something else there. I volunteered there when I got older, just because I I loved the atmosphere and -hmm. libraries have continued to be important in our life. My, my wife works at the, the local library and it's, we still live in a small town and she's the librarian there. And, um, our kids go there after school. They were there yesterday for a few hours and they bring home books. And sometimes those books go back unread and other times they, they found a new favorite book. And it's so, it's so fun. I, um, I love that, that we get to go there and, and have those possibilities. Like you were saying, Nancy, I just, um, but, but I will, how, how do you, how do you take on the job of recommending books to people? Yeah, uh, it's it's intimidating as well, and I'm always so afraid of failure. Um, I mean, you even asked about Roberto Bolaño, and I'm hedging over here, like, oh, you probably shouldn't go, you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I taught at the University of Washington's um, Information School, um, and the class I taught was Adult Services in the Public Library, with an emphasis on how to suggest books to to people, how to help people find their next good book. So over the course of um, the years that I taught it, I kind of developed a theory of, of why people like the books they like, um, that they're, and, and this is probably a subject <laughs> for a whole other, you know, I'm happy to go there, though. Okay, I'm ha- All right. very happy. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I it really works, and I've had. I have to say, in my career as a bookseller and my career as a librarian, I've done really well recommending books or suggesting books to people. The only people, the only person that I'm terrible at suggesting books to is my husband. And I have probably <laughs> a, a D, you know, D minus <laughs> grading at that. Um, but, you know, it's that, that when people, I'm going to say suggest instead of recommend because suggest is less harsh you know, mm-hmm. when you suggest something, like you know, but if you recommend something that that kind of implies you're standing behind it, you know, I know you're going to like this book. <laughs> I know it. Um, but if I suggested it, it's just that you're saying based on what you've talked about, this is the book that comes to mind. So basically, I think there are people 
so so that I always start a conversation when somebody says, what should, what do you recommend? I always start by saying, tell me about a book you liked. And, and then you listen to the way the person describes the book. And usually they give many, many, many hints in the first sentence about what <laughs> it is that they liked about that book. Um, and then you, you know, because you all have, you know, many books in, in your background that you've read. I mean, you try to match up that. So, you know, the the when you're working with the public, what you find is that when you ask somebody to tell you about a book that they liked, not what a book they liked is about, but what, you know, tell you about mm-hmm. a book they liked, they're, they're, the majority of people are going to want a plot-driven book because that's the most popular. The second biggest group are people who read for character, you know, um, and you know, and I have, I have like um, descriptions of those, and then people who read for place, which I never thought was important. And then I um, worked with a woman who I would say, oh, Martha, what are you reading? She would say, oh, Nancy, I feel like I'm there. And, you know, that there-ness, I think, Mm -hmm. is important. And then the smallest group of people are people who read for language. Um, And and each of those categories has a a corresponding nonfiction uh, category. So you, because, because people get stuck in, in libraries, you know, when you walk into a library, really you head for the place in that library where you've had the greatest success finding books that you like. So for a lot of people, it's the mystery section or the new books. That's a really popular place. Um, But I always wanted to encourage people to, you know, to walk around the library and to understand that there's books in in the history section that if you like, um, if you like plot, you know, the history, Lewis and Clark, there you got a lot of plot and you just want a book. So just just to understand that it's not a life and death kind of <laughs> that you're making and that you are going to make mistakes. But as a librarian, I mean, your goal is to develop relationships like that librarian did with your son, Paul, you know, that, mm. that, and you, uh, you know, over the years, it's that relationship that's important. Um, and yeah, I would absolutely. say even a little bit, just almost just as important as that you're right in suggesting you know, this book. Yeah. And I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to tell a funny story that a woman came in and said that she wanted, you know, could I recommend a ro- some romance novels? Um, but it, they had to be told no sex. She wanted no sex <laughs> at all in these romance novels, which, you know, <laughs> let out a lot of My stuff. wife gets that a, a lot in our library, a lot. <laughs> yes. So I said, oh my gosh, yes. I said, one of my favorite novelists is Georgette Hare, um, the Regency novelist. She invented the Regency romance. And, and because she was writing in the 40s, and 50s there's basically no no graphic sex at all 
I said, oh, you know, let me go look on the shelf to make sure, you know, and oh, there was my favorite one of her books called The Grand Sophie. I said, oh, take this. You'll love it. There is no sex. Well, she came back like the next day with the book and she, (laughs) she slammed it down. She said, this book has so much sex in it. What are you talking about? I said, what, what are you talking? You know, I said, very <laughs> what are you talking about? And she said, look at this sentence. I mean, she had like put place marks in. She said, look at this sentence. Sophie had easy intercourse with the military gentleman. <laughs> so I said, so I like, you know, tried to explain that. Yes, talking. And then she said, well, look at this. Um, um, and then there's this whole page, like he ejaculated, she ejaculated. <laughs> so, I mean, you just, you just can't win, but I have right. to say, oh, boy. You, have not but, read, you, know. you have not read Georgette Hayer or listened <laughs> to her books. The Grand Sophie is fabulous. I would love to jump into it. I will say if you do take all that for current meanings or whatever, that does seem like a pretty racy thing you recommended there. <laughs> I know, I know. It was not long. <laughs> and all they're doing is talking here, but look at all this that's going on underneath. <laughs> well, Trevor, as you mentioned, I know, like I was chatting with you and your wife a while back and she talked about people coming into your library mm. and, and saying very similar things like, I want a romance, but there can't even be hand-holding. Yeah. yeah. setting up some uh, tough strictures for people. We, we live in a community that is pretty conservative and religious, and we're very much, you know, back east kind of folks. We, we appreciate that and want to make sure people get what they really came in to look for. We're not trying to change anybody, but... It is hard sometimes to to realize what doesn't mean anything to us will will make a big influence. You know, will will we'll be a, a game changer. Game changer. That's the wrong word. Will be a the wrong book. I'll just say it that way for someone else. <laughs> yeah. All I was going to say is that gets into an interesting like with the role of librarians and like you talked mm-hmm. about how things are evolving. I mean, as banned books. I mean, that's been something that's come up for years, but as it becomes more and more in the spotlight and all that, I mean, there's just so many different roles that a librarian plays. You know, I think of like some of the John Irving books where the librarian is like slipping them these books that probably are a little too old for them or whatever. And it's just such a fascinating position, (laughs) such an important position. Um, And it's funny because you wouldn't think like the stereotypes of a librarian but there's, there is like a, I don't know if subversive is the right word, but there is like a, an important element there that they have the shape, shaping of people's lives in very important ways. Paul, Paul, you're, you're giving people ammunition. Um, <laughs> we, um, there's so much fear. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, Nancy, if this is playing a role as big a role in, in your, you know, current, uh, work as it has in the past, or if it's different. Um, but, I mean, people call the library here a lot to ask if we have such and such a book. And you can kind of hear that there are other people behind them on the phone with other libraries, and they're just trying to figure out which books are are in certain libraries so they can go and cause kind of a, an uproar about some of them. And I don't like that they use such strong language that anything uh, that they don't agree with, they just call it pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so problematic for so many reasons. and and you know, one of them in particular is that, of course, 
anything that is LGBTQ um, plus is they just call it pornography, whether there's anything explicit or not, or it doesn't matter what it has to do with it, any, any of that. And yeah, I mean, they're very, they're very skeptical of librarians. I mean, they, they kind of do see them as subversive people who go into the back room and recommend um, dirty books to, right. to kids. We, we get, uh, we get a lot of books um, stolen yeah. in our library yeah. <laughs> because from well-meaning, apparently, uh, people who just don't think that anybody should, should get to read right. them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's always, I mean, libraries have always had challenges to their, you know, to their collections. Mm-hmm. I, I think what's so interesting <laughs> is that you can never, I always thought there should be a t-shirt that said, my library has books that I wish weren't there or something, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> and you and you never know in talking to someone what, I mean, being a librarian is a little bit like being a social worker, I think, or, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not dealing, except you're not dealing directly with somebody saying I'm having these issues or this happened, this trauma, whatever, but their response to books that you might suggest tells you everything you, I mean, people share their lives with you in talking about books. And, you know, I was, I had, I had a friend, I have a friend and I said, I had read a series of British mysteries that I really liked um, by Ellie Griffith, where the main character is an archaeologist in the North of England. And, um, and I said, and I was telling this friend, oh, I really like this, you know, I think you would like this, this book. And, you know, the main character is having an affair with, you know, unexpectedly with the police chief or something. And she said, she just got very, like her face just got with no, no expression. And she said, I don't read books that have you know, marital affairs. And I mean, that just tells you everything about, about that, you know, this person that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah. And that's, and that could be quite scary because you, you, we don't, I think when we're talking books and such, especially in the, in the way that we do on this podcast. And as I've heard you talking before too, Nancy, it really is to help people, you you said a good book for you is one you enjoyed reading right uh, and and we we want that but it can't books can be hard experiences too for people and um sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it it can be traumatic and and not maybe a good thing and so i've never thought about that as a, a librarian being kind of like a social worker and trying to help people also find books that will work for wh- who they are in their life I think yeah. that I think that parents absolutely have the right to decide what their kids are going to read, but they don't have the right to tell someone else what mm-hmm. their what the, that those people's uh, children can read. Um, I think that's really really important. Yeah, there would be no books available because someone right doesn't think your kid should read that yes. book. Exactly. No, <laughs> every that's, one of them. Right. That's exactly true. I mean, there there wouldn't be <laughs> any books available, especially when you're talking about kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I started as a children's librarian. That was my career goal. And, 
you know, you just, it's, it's your right with your kid. And if you're worried that a librarian is going to give your child something that you disapprove of, then you need to come to the library with your child Mm -hmm. and help them pick out the books. That's, that's, yeah, I feel so strongly about that. <laughs> but don't you I think do that too. speaks so much to the power of books, like both the excitement yeah. and the fear, uh, you know, going back to whatever book yeah. burning or different things, you know, Harry Potter, you know, getting banned or burned or it, it just it's amazing because it it can go a lot of different directions. But yeah. it, it's part of why we love them so much is yes. just they contain, yeah. you know, humanity and, and everything in it. It's just it's amazing how this little square object, you know, can inspire all these emotions and feelings and people and can direct your life. I mean, can give you, you know, my librarians at, at, in Detroit, when I was a kid, Miss Whitehead was Canadian. And I, I mean, she raised me on a diet, a steady diet of British children's books, Enid Mm -hmm. Blyton and I, you know, the, the Hobbit and just Mary Poppins. I mean, I, she just turned me into the reader, the person that I was, that I am. Um, and, and that's what librarians, you know, the right librarians or people lucky enough to have parents who are readers and let their kids give them a book and let them go. Um, I also have that. Can I ask you a, a big question? Yeah. So you talked about how libraries are evolving and you have mixed feelings about that. And I'm, I feel the exact same way. I guess my question is like, looking ahead, is there always going to be a strong place for the book loving librarian? Like if somebody was looking to get into right. being a librarian, do you feel like there's enough of what we all love about it that will continue to carry on to inspire people to want to be a librarian? I hope so. I, 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 I really, really, really hope so. Um, I think that I think that one of the that that one of the problems that that library that the library the world of the public library has never made clear what its role is. You know, we've never come to figure out. You know, to we talk about. We talk about that the library is the central, you know, the heart of the city. But then with COVID, we didn't consider ourselves, um, you know, people who had to be there, like the police or the fire department. Mm. You know, what does that say? I mean, it's so hard. But I, I know there are people who want to be librarians who love to read and who and 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 want to share, want to be the kind of librarian that luckily I had the chance to be, but you can't get into, you know, you have to look big, look like, you know, be aware that that's not going to get you into loving to read. Maybe got me into library school at the university of Michigan. It's not going to get somebody into library school today. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. I, I will say sometimes I get discouraged and think that this is all going away and I step back and go, is this just me wanting an old way, older way of doing things? But I always get encouraged when I go into the library, which I did yesterday after after school. Um, I, I went there. My wife was working and that, like I say, my kids go there. 
and is just a madhouse <laughs> of of kids with their parents. Not all of them are with parents, but many parents, and they are they are not just going to the games or the computers. There is that, of course, but they are grabbing stacks of books for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, this is this is alive in many homes, you know, in our community. Um, it's just not always the most visible thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I do hope that it stays, uh, you know, but I, I, I'll i share that bit of, of anecdotal hope. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, I was in a, I think it was a Barnes and Noble a, a few months ago and I was across the aisle from these, there was a group of probably, they were probably high schoolers and they were all in the manga section and they were just hanging out, talking about the characters, the plots, and they were just, you know, kind of loud and obnoxious, but in a good way. Yeah. And they were just having a blast and they were just having so much fun and, and stuff like that. Like you said, when I get discouraged, inevitably something like that comes along and you know that there are still a huge number of, of people, young and old, who are out there that still have that magic. So that that is yeah. Very yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I to me the library is just a place where well, I guess I said that it's a place of possibilities, but it's endless. Um, and and the public library is the only place that does that. I mean, with everything else mm. that the library is offering now, other people, other city organ, you know, city, um, it, that you could find it in other places or you should be able to find it. But the library is the only place where when you walk in that door, you're, you're equal, you know, no matter what color you are, or age you are, or, you know, whether you're have a disability, the library is there for you and, and you should be able to find yourself in the pages of a book and lose yourself in the pages of a book. And, you know, what else does that? Just the public <laughs> library. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's a great place to end. I don't want to <laughs> end. Um, but I, especially if people do have other things that you'd kind of written down to share, but yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, kind of cap on, mm-hmm. on our conversation. I do love that a lot of our talk today, we've brought up other people who have been there for us. And I think that libraries and, you know, books in general, but libraries too, they're relationship builders also. I mean, they can be a place to go for some escape and to build a world up in your own mind. But sometimes you find somebody who has that world as part of their mind too. And I love the community. We talked before we started to hit the record button of Twitter and, you know, some of the uncertainty with what where things are going, but how wonderful it has been to find a community of book, you know, bookish people who are just so encouraging. Their enthusiasm is encouraging. And I think they're just generally all around fine people to, mm. to chat with and, and be around in general. But um I do love that part of it all too. And I, I've never thought of the library as a great place for community building. I mean, maybe I have, but maybe expressing it in, in a different way or thinking of it a little bit from a different uh, perspective, a little bit today that it, it, it does help us to, to come together too, hopefully. Totally. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, 
Go, go ahead, Nancy. Oh, no. I mean, we could go on talking. You know. <laughs> I don't so. think anybody would mind uh, too much. Except for, again, Paul, I know, has has a, a, a fun project. And yeah, and I know you right. said you have some, some fun football, too. Right. So, uh... I just don't football. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to keep Nancy from her football. Though, <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have, if there was something though that you wanted to share there, Nancy, I, I'm happy to well, keep it I'll open for a second. I, I'll just, I'll just say that I think the library, the the role of the library is like a three, a three legged stool. And I think that one role is providing information to the community. The other role is programming, bringing people into the library. So mm-hmm. there can be that give and take, you know, a book discussion group, for example, or having an author come in and talk. Um, and and the third one is a place where you can find wonderful things to read. And I think mm-hmm. those three things have to be equal or the library is, is not going to be <laughs> as steady um, on its feet as it should be. That's great. Yeah, good points too. I'm going to I, I've, with my wife being in the library, I, I definitely have an interest in learning more about how they work and how, you know, things that have been fun and, 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 um, and positive. Uh, I'll have to keep, keep poking you on Twitter, Nancy. Yeah, right, right, definitely. <laughs> for, uh, for your book recommendations, for the poetry that you share on there. Um, and also just these insights, but thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a delight. I could go on for sure. Um, but it, it has been just as much fun as I hoped it would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank I'm you so just, much. I was thrilled that you wanted me to, to join you guys on the, on your podcast and it's been great. I too feel we could go on <laughs> and just keep, keep talking about <laughs> the libraries and what it has meant in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, listeners, thanks so much for, for all that you guys do as well. Um, again, as we've talked today, this is so much more than just coming on and Paul and me, you know, bantering about a book or two. Um, it's, we, we love hearing uh, what you're reading, what, what getting you excited, uh, what you want to recommend and, you know, s- stories like the, the one that we shared earlier today from, from a listener that's really i think even though maybe we didn't know it why we're doing this you know (laughs) so thank you to all of you we will see you soon thanks everybody thank you for listening to this episode of the mooks and the gripes podcast you can follow the mooks and the gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com on twitter you can follow trevor at mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time, 